You're listening to the Efficient Practice Podcast, episode number seven. Welcome to the Efficient Practice Podcast. If you want increased productivity, profitability, and a better quality of life, this show is for you. And now your host, Dr. Evelyn Samuel. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Efficient Practice Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Evelyn Samuel, and I am super excited that you all joined us for today's episode. This is going to be a really good one. You're going to want to stay into the end because it's going to be jam-packed with information and it's really some juicy stuff. Today we have on the show Dr. Elizabeth Oates. Welcome to the show, Dr. Oates. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday to you. We're, we're recording late on a Sunday night, so uh, we want your listeners to listen in. And if you haven't, please join our free Facebook group. It's called the Efficiency Now Network. There's several dentists and other uh, dental uh, auxiliary and other business owners who are on there and we're all on there and we're trying to work together to have more efficient practices or use efficient practices to run our businesses better. So if you have not joined, please join the free Facebook group. And also if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show, Efficient Practice Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. And now to our esteemed guest, Dr. Elizabeth Oates, I'm just going to give you a little bit about uh, Dr. Oates' background. Dr. Oates is a native of Aberdeen, Maryland, and a dentist in the United States Army. A graduate of Hampton University in Virginia, she completed her dental studies at the University of Maryland Baltimore College of Dental Surgery. After graduation, Dr. Oates spent two years on a Navajo reservation where she completed her residency training. She has experience in private practice, government contracting, and institutional dental settings. In 2011, Dr. Oates joined the U.S. Army where she currently serves as a lieutenant colonel. She's passionate about helping students interested in dentistry and healthcare studies. Dr. Oates has served as a mentor to students in the Hampton University Leadership Institute and Honors College. She also volunteers her time to speak at schools, churches, and health events. A 2017 graduate of the University of Notre Dame Mendoza School of Business Transformational Nonprofit Leadership Certificate Program, Dr. Oates is currently in the process of creating her own nonprofit organization. Her goal is to provide mentorship to minorities who aspire to enter the dental and health care profession. Once again, welcome to the show, Dr. Oates. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Yes, we are so excited to have you here. Uh, you, you've done some really exciting things, and it looks like you're, you're helping a, a lot of uh, Uh, young dentists and people who are interested in our profession. And so with that, that is like a perfect segue into our first question. I want to ask you, what was it that led you into the field of dentistry? Well, that's a quite interesting question because when you're young, uh, let's say elementary school, I think we all want to be teachers, 
singers and actresses and you know not necessarily in that order but once I got past that phase and got into middle school it was seventh grade where I decided that I wanted to be a, a dentist and it just stuck from seventh grade on my mom's a nurse and my mother used to always say oh the body's easy this is easy because it's relatable because it's you um, so I just I had a love for science and we were poor <laughs> we grew up poor and my mom had one of her high school classmates that was a dentist and uh, was gracious enough to take all three of us children on as um, patients and i just remember that i loved getting compliments because i never had a cavity so every checkup was a good one um, i loved science and at the end of every visit I was allowed to get a toy. I love gifts. <laughs> so there was nothing better than flattery, compliments. I mean, this had to be the perfect career, right? So it just, it just stuck. It just stuck. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. So happy that you joined the profession. And that is, that's quite an interesting story. So gifts and compliments. Gifts and compliments. It's still the deal. Sealed <laughs> the deal. And still to this day, you know, I love for, for patients to be happy with their work and compliment me. You know, they don't necessarily have to give me gifts, but they are friends, <laughs> families, and, you know, acquaintances that can give gifts. So, Okay. Well, great. Okay. So, so after you, um, you decided in the seventh grade and then you, you started your journey to becoming a dentist, you knew it was what you wanted to do. Um, you went to the university of Maryland, uh, dental school, Baltimore college dental school. So what, what happened after you finished dental school? What, what channels did you take after you finished dental school? Well, I'll back up a little bit because there, there, there's a stark difference that, in, unless you went to HBCU, you don't talk about it. I went to Hampton University, which is a prestigious HBCU. If you ask me, I'm going to say it's the best one. I went um, to an HBCU too. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm full on prejudice. Hampton is number one. But it was absolutely the best experience. Now, I came from a military town, so I grew up with lots of diversity in high school. was was great, but Hampton was wow. Um, so to leave Hampton and transition to University of Maryland, which is um, what we, we would call a predominantly white institution, stark contrast in the way you related to your classmates, in the way the instructors related to you, because at Hampton, you know, a lot of the professors looked like me. Uh, and if they didn't look like me, they were at an HBCU because they had a passion for making sure minorities um, made their place in the world. Um, so overall, everybody cared about you. But University of Maryland was a different feeling. Great school because it was in the top five when I went there, but just a different, much harsher environment. And whether you make it out or not, that was up to you. That was up to you. So that was not the best experience. I didn't transition well um, because I didn't know how to. And, um, you know, you you leave dental, dental school a little bitter and jaded a lot of times. Um, and how do we know that? Because most people will not give money back their first couple <laughs> years out of school. So by and large across the board, people are like, oh, I've had enough. But I really, it was a really... Um, rough experience. So I left 
while you're at Maryland, you have to do an externship. And I was sent out to Arizona to the reservation. So while I was out there, it was a great two weeks. I had a ball because I did not realize that people lived without running water and electricity. I thought everybody paid BGE and the local water company and we were all good. So I was amazed when I was out there and the program director offered me a seat in his residency program. So, I mean, I was given this seat, this opportunity. I spent two years out there and aside leaving Hampton, that was my next best experience because all of the doctors out there, they had already achieved what they wanted to in life. So they were really interested in helping me and the other resident who was also African-American they were completely interested in helping us learn what we wanted to learn, do what we wanted to do. It was a great dental experience and cultural experience. So I, um, you know, had two years of breathing room and to recoup and not feel so jaded about dental school. And I left there and went to work in Atlanta, um, but wasn't so much a fan of um, the growth of Atlanta at the time. And the opportunity came up for me to become a government contractor. So I came all the way back home and took a governor, uh, government contract position on the military base. And that was my first experience with treating soldiers. Okay. Well, wow, you said a lot. And uh, we're, we're gonna go through what you, uh, some of the things that you said. I too uh, did an underground, undergrad uh, HBCU uh, experience. And so as you're talking, I can relate to exactly what you're saying. I had that, that um, camaraderie uh, in the undergrad uh, sector. And then I went to the University of Alabama. So kind of the same thing that you're experiencing, there is a bit of adjustment. There is, uh, you're leaving this uh, family uh, sort of, I don't want to say cocoon, but a family uh, sense and family uh, university setting and, and you're in a, a different ball game altogether. Absolutely. So I can identify with what you're saying quite a bit in that, in that adjustment and how that adjustment can be tough for people that do look like you and me when we're uh, used to a certain thing and everybody gets along and everybody's concerned about how well you do and everybody's interested in nurturing your, your experience and your development and your growth. And then to go to a different place where it's just a different experience altogether, it's, it's sometimes hard uh, to adjust to that. And, and so I can definitely identify with you on that. So, so you said after that, you, you went to Atlanta, you came back. Uh, were you in the Maryland area when you took that, that country? It brought me all the way back to the Maryland area, um, the, to um, Aberdeen Proving Grounds, one okay. of the area installations, yes. Okay, and so how long were you in that, that particular position as a government contractor? So it's funny you ask that. Now, in total, 15 years. Oh my. However, the first seven and a half I spent as a contractor, and a couple of my colleagues twisted my arm. You know, they throw a couple of fact sheets in your face about, hey, you should try this. This is a good job. And the next seven and a half, um, I was on active duty and still am. So, you know, I spent a period of 15 years in the Maryland area between two installations, but I started out as a government contractor and then I decided to wear the uniform. Okay. 
Okay, great. And were you in you were in private practice as well for for a, a, a I did. I spent so the first um, couple of years, yeah, the first seven years, I spent as a government contractor. I mean, I was running circles around people. I was making my bonus every quarter. So I was like, I need to do this for myself. So I transitioned to private practice four out of five days of the week. I did a startup, uh, which was difficult to say the least in a downturn economy in 2007. Did a startup, quickly realized that that was not for me and sold the practice after four years. I sold the practice December, 2011. I went to officer base, my officer basic course, um, which is similar to boot camp for officers, um, January, 2011. So it was a pretty rapid turnaround. You know, I turned over the keys in the next month, um, you know, sleeping in the woods and wearing combat boots. So. Okay. And so that leads me to talk about you, you're an author. And <laughs> congratulations. So, Thank you. So for the listeners, um, Dr. Oates uh, is a, would you say, a co-author with the new book? Correct. Co-author. <laughs> yes. And the new book is called Thinking of Leaving Medicine, Volume Thinking 2. Thinking About Quitting Medicine, Volume Thinking, 2. Thinking About Quitting Medicine, Volume 2. So um, can you tell us a little bit about, a little bit about, um, without giving away your, because we all want to get the book. So everybody that's listening needs right. to get a copy of the book. I have to get mine. It just uh, recently launched. Is that correct? Or just Yes. We launched the ebook October 1st. So October right. has been very good to me for the last two years. Last year, I um, got my military promotion October 1st. So this year, I became a bestseller. We became a bestseller um, the day that we launched on Amazon. So the ebook is out. Uh, for your Kindle readers, um, and the paper-bound book will be out probably in the next two weeks, before the end of the month, before the end of the month, so I'm very excited and very wow. proud. Yes, that's um, that's quite an achievement, so congratulations. Thank you. I will definitely be getting my copy, <laughs> <laughs> yes. and everyone else listening should as well, and that's just a, such a catchy title. Yes. It says so much, <laughs> the title itself. So I'm going to say this, and, and people who are listening, there, there are going to be people listening from several different professions. There's people listening to us all over the world. But the majority of people are probably going to be in the medical profession. They're probably going to be doctors or, or physicians or dentists, uh, uh, because we are dentists, so we're probably going to attract a large following of dentists. But that title says a lot. And can you tell us a little bit, the listeners, a little bit about uh, the theory of thinking of um, quitting medicine? Thinking well, about. Quitting I will medicine. tell you the first time that I saw the title, <clears throat> it was for the launch of the first book. And it was posted or hosted on um, social media by um, a doctor that I had gotten to know. So when I saw her post, I was like, I immediately went to the website because I was like, oh my gosh, she's quitting medicine. <laughs> she's great. Why is she quitting? So I clicked on the link, you know, I read um, the background to it and I was like, oh, okay. 
all right, I get this. But I wouldn't follow the link and I wouldn't like on it because I was afraid if my followers saw that, my friends saw that, then I'd get people asking me, hey, wait a minute, you like gonna look about quitting or you thinking about quitting? Well, the, the premise really is, well, volume one is a collection of physicians who share their stories. The premise being, you know, we are all taught in American society that, you know, being a doctor is a great, wonderful, prestigious thing. Um, we are also taught that doctors are rich. Um, we also have this um, idea that doctors live a perfect life. That's the American way. That's one of the American dreams, right? Okay, well, fine. Some of us chase that dream. Some of us achieve that accomplishment. But what happens once you achieve that accomplishment and you find out, wait, wait a minute, this is not that perfect dream that they were selling to me. I don't like this. <laughs> and, you know, I'm stuck now with this debt, this expensive, prestigious degree. Societal pressures are, you're a doctor, you don't complain. Yes. You live a good life, you make a lot of money, what are you doing? So you kind of feel pigeonholed. And what I like about the book is, the stories go from how I got here, why I'm not happy, to okay, this is how I'm gonna make this work for me. So I, I love stories like that, because you don't just hear complaints, failures, losses, you also, find out how these doctors rebound, learn to like what they do, learn to find a way to like what they do. That's the, the great part of these two books. So for volume two, I am the only dentist because I told the publisher when they were looking for authors, I was like, wait, wait a minute. You need a dentist too. We have stories too that are similar to yours. Some of them may be a little crazier, but we need to balance these physicians out. We need to put a dentist in there. So um, I was very proud to be uh, the one dentist chosen for this book and tell my story. That's good. And and what you just said, it's a it's so true that we don't want to complain. Or I think a lot of us are afraid of. Uh, not really living up to that that dream, you know, or having other people think that things are less than perfect. Because we're we're a strange group, you know. We <laughs> I say that, but if you <laughs> you go you go to like if you go to conventions and everybody's doing good and nobody really says, you know, what's going on. I mean, it's it's sometimes hard. How, you know, you're dealing with overhead, you're dealing with teams, you're dealing with running a business. And oftentimes you're not taught to do those things in dental or medical school. Right. And you're having all these responsibilities and a lot of stressors. So it's good that you can be transparent. And like you said, find solutions and ways uh, to make it better, to make it the profession that you always dreamed about. Oh, right. From seventh grade. From seventh grade. <laughs> I mean, I got to a point where um, I really spent days and hours, okay, how can I get out of this? I'm good at some other things. What kind of money can I make? I mean, I literally spent times in the quiet of my own room. I'm not talking to anybody, but when I tell you I was trying to figure this out, that was like my second job. 
um, <laughs> until I, you know, settled on the fact that, okay, you're not going to be able, you've got this student loan debt, first of all. So I don't know what other kind of job you think you're going to find to pay that bill off first before you move on to something else. Mm -hmm. But, you know, God places people in your life. And I just had somebody, I work one day a week. You know, I, I said I work four days a week at my office and one day a week um, kept my contracting position on the military base. And for some reason, every Friday when I went in, I had a soldier talking to me. Well, have you ever thought about this? Well, what do you think about this? And it was very subtle until, you know, after doing that for a few months, I was like, hey, do you think I could do this? <laughs> so um, a lot of prayer a lot of quiet meditation and you know then it came to me god was like okay you're gonna move in that direction that's gonna work for you and once i made my decision i was at peace and i mean it just it worked out for me it's not for everybody everything is not for everybody private practice is not for everybody um contracting is not for everybody being a government employee is not for everybody being in the military is not for everybody but that is what worked out for me and so i'm no longer having thoughts of quitting trying to find my second career trying to figure out why i didn't go into journalism when i was a lot smaller <laughs> coming out of hampton but you know i found something that okay this works i enjoy doing dentistry in this way and that's good and so you just gave a lot of advice that was going to be one of my questions like what advice what advice would you give someone who is, is, is thinking about this? And I share with you on the pre-interview that I actually get emails and uh, private messages about people that felt like you were feeling at that point. And it's kind of like they don't have anybody to talk to or they don't know where to turn. So they would send a message to someone they don't know and just, you know, seek advice because maybe they feel like they're in over their head or, or maybe you know, owning a practice is what they thought they were supposed to do. But when they get in there with all the responsibilities, it's just more of a, more of a burdensome something than something that they enjoy. A lot of times we enjoy the clinical part. We enjoy dentistry. We enjoy the people. We enjoy the procedures and the artistry. So what, what kind of advice, and you kind of just did, is there any specific advice that you would give someone about how, how do, how do I figure out what else I can do? I am, well, I will say this. This is my funny piece. Um, being a dentist is like being the president of the United States. <laughs> you know, these guys run for office and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and it's going to be great. But it's not until they really get in that seat that they understand the responsibilities of their job. It's the same thing for us. In dental school, they did not have time to teach us how to be business owners, how to run a business, how to you know, negotiate um, overhead, paying your employees, being the HR manager. They didn't have time to do that. They had to teach us the clinical side of dentistry and the didactic portion. So everything isn't for everybody but i think you have to be strong enough look try anything try anything once if your heart was always set on going into private practice please do it if you want to be a dentist please do it don't let anything anybody says change your mind and i was always that weird kid that special kid that i had been told no oh yeah, yeah several times elementary middle school high school college dental school yeah oh yeah there were people that said discouraging things and told me no, but I was always that kid that I would listen to you, 
but I'm not necessarily going to take your advice as for me. And I'm the, I'm still the same way. I still get no's. I still get, you can't do that. I hear you. Doesn't mean I'm going to follow what you say. I think everyone to be satisfied, you got to try it. If you don't like it, have the exact same courage that you use to try it to walk away from it. But you have to have a plan. You have to be responsible, okay? If you have student loans and you don't have another way to pay it back, you might very well have to do this job or pay back whatever entity. You know, you may have to stay in it until you do that. Um, my other big, big thing, piece of advice, only have mentors, only have people in your circle advising you that are positive. There, I, have, I take advice from no one that is not positive. My mentors have never, ever, ever told me no, have never told me I couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because when you come to a crossroads and you are struggling, those are going to be the people that help keep you up make you feel good and make you feel like, okay, whatever you decide to do, I'm going to be here to support you. That's huge. That's huge. So do what it is you want to do. Keep positive mentors in your corner at all times. That's great advice. Yeah. yeah. That is. They, they have been wonderful. I mean, at my toughest times, I remember one of my closest friends, she's a dentist and I consider her a mentor. She said, look, if you don't want to do this, sell your practice and don't look back and don't listen to anybody. And we're talking about this is coming from someone who absolutely loves it. She will sit in her office at night and file those insurance claims and billing. And I would sit there and look at her like, I just don't like this like you do. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about somebody who loves it, but who also understands it's not for everybody and encouraged me to move in the direction that will work best for me. And that's important. Like you said, um, just recognizing uh, to thine own self be true. Amen. Just one of those things to thine own self be true. Be true to, the, be true to yourself. And, and it's hard to do. Um, I'm single and I don't have any kids. So I didn't have familial obligations where, you know, I had to consult with a spouse or I had to consider, you know, the tuition that I'm paying for my child. That's different. You know, other people have other stressors or other responsibilities that they have to consider. So my situation was a little different, but when you have other people and responsibilities you have to consider, you got to look at the entire picture, you know? Okay. And so what's next for, uh, for you, Dr. Oates? So <laughs> I will tell you after making the huge leap selling my practice and joining the military. I really feel like if there's anything else I want to try, it is not going to be a problem. I'm going to have the courage to move forward. So right now I'm enjoying my job. Um, I've been excited about learning the process of being an author, writing a book. So I'm excited to follow that. Um, I look forward to participating in another book project. I'm hoping we can get a book full of dentists with great stories to tell. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I have some other hobbies that I want to try. I was just telling um, my publisher today that I want to learn how to be a DJ. Um, I've always wanted to learn how to DJ because, you know, we like happy patients. 
Um, but there's a, a similar theme when you go to a party, the DJ likes looking at people because their music makes people happy. And so I want to learn how to DJ so that for my 50th birthday party, <laughs> I want to be the star. I want to be the DJ and I'm going to make my people happy. So, <laughs> so you're going to be your own DJ. I'm going to be my own DJ because look, I can make, make people happy chair side. I'm going to learn how to make people happy on the dance floor or just, you know, just sitting there enjoying the music. So that, you know, the sky is the limit. Once you get past the fear of um, peer pressure um, in what it is that you were trained to do, I think once you get past that fear, you can do anything. So now I'm exploring those other things that I like to do because we're stable in career. So we're going to explore some of those other opportunities. Wow, well, that's great. And you're working on a nonprofit. You mentioned that and your, your bio mentioned that you're working on a nonprofit as well. Yes, I took um, a certificate leadership course from University of Notre Dame um, Mendoza School of Business, which was an excellent course, by the way, because um, I've been mentoring students for several years now. Um, and I just feel like I don't have any kids. Um, I can't tell you that I ever will. But at Hampton, we were taught to let your life do the singing. So the legacy that I plan on leaving here on earth, when I'm gone, I want it to stay behind. Um, I believe in mentorship. I believe that everybody can have a seat at the table. We're not necessarily all going to eat the same thing, but you pull up that chair right beside me. And I want to see um, minorities continue to thrive in this industry if they want to. So... Um, the nonprofit will be focused on mentoring, um, assisting students in any way we can. I found that to be difficult coming up. Uh, getting a, um, appropriate mentors and people that were just willing to help you. That's another thing that we don't talk about, but we don't do a good job at. Um, I've got a research project that I'm working on um, that'll kind of focus on that. But the the nonprofit will leave a legacy behind to help minorities enter healthcare fields, how to navigate that path, and also address healthcare literacy, um, speaking to minorities about healthcare and how to negotiate healthcare because it's not something that we like to talk about and it's not something we do very well. Okay, well, that's wonderful. That's absolutely awesome. And how, as you as you were talking there, I was thinking about that when you were saying earlier you had a great mentor and sometimes we don't know how do you find a mentor we know we should have them yes. but how do we find them so that's good that you will be addressing that and navigating the path into our profession absolutely i i think for those of us who have made it and this is my personal opinion you know we should feel some sort of obligation to pull the people up behind us Anyone that wants to come behind us, we should feel obligated to help bring them. We got here. Granted, maybe a lot of us felt like we got here on our own, but I firmly, I will never believe that. I will never believe that. And like I said, one of these days, somebody's got to actually take my seat because I'm not going to stay in the seat forever. I'm not going to practice clinical dentistry forever. There's going to be a time to put the handpiece down. And what I like to see is some great young people come behind and take my seat. I think oftentimes we, minority 
first-generation doctors are scared that if we help somebody else, they're going to take our seat, when in essence, that was never the case. And that's what I saw coming up, and that's what I want to, I want to evolve out of that. I'm not of that generation, and I don't plan on ever being like that or feeling like that, and I want to evolve a new generation of minority mentorship. We we're happy to see people coming up and we're happy to help them get to where we are. They'll never take our seat unless right. we give it to them. Right. Cause there's room for everybody. There's something for everybody. Isn't that what Solange said? There is a seat at the table. Now, like I said, my caveat on that, we're not all going to eat the same thing. Now I may be eating shrimp and lobster. Okay. And you may be having, you know, um, I don't know, a bologna sandwich, but it's okay. You can still sit there at this table. And one of these days you can be eating lobster. That's right. Well, wonderful, wonderful. Now, is there anything else you want to add uh, to the listeners before we, before we sign off? I just, I want to in- encourage, um, I, think, I think your podcast is wonderful. You bring on a variety of docs doing things in different ways. Um, to help advance the profession. And I just want to encourage the listeners out there, continue to watch these type of podcasts and things that stimulate your mind to do great and positive things. Seek out some of the people that have watched, some of the people that you've seen in these podcasts. Um, Seek them out. You know, seek their mentorship. Ask questions. That's what we're here for. That's the beauty of the advent of these types. You know, social media isn't great for everything, but this is one of the great things that it brings to a new generation of um, up-and-coming doctors. So I tell them, seek out positive, great mentorship, and I appreciate you bringing me on so that people can hear my story. Absolutely, absolutely. And a wonderful story it is. Uh, Once again, congratulations on all the wonderful things you're doing. Uh, On being now in a position where you're you're happy with where you are in dentistry, that is an accomplishment in itself. And also on your new book, can you give us the title one more time of your book for those who are listening? The title of the book is Thinking About Quitting Medicine, Volume 2. The ebook is out right now on Amazon. It is an Amazon bestseller, and the paperbound book will be out before the end of October. The launch party for Thinking About Quitting Medicine Volume Two, where you can meet me, and I will be my same entertaining self. <laughs> October twentieth in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, on the campus of Georgia Tech. Uh, we have an Eventbrite link out there. It is a free event to come to, and we'll be excited to share our stories, tell more jokes. Um, the, the, great, the great thing about um, writing my piece for the book was I was so concerned that the editor was going to take some of my funny, keep it real parts out, <laughs> um, but she did not. She left it all in, so I'm very um, transparent. And I keep it 100 as <laughs> So um, I look forward to the feedback, uh, the honest feedback that I'll get on that. But um, come see us in Atlanta. It will be an enjoyable, inspiring event. All right. Wonderful. So thank you once again, Dr. Oates. And again, the book is Thinking About Quitting Medicine, Volume 2. It is an Amazon bestseller. and We're going to keep it up there for a long time. So 
This concludes another episode of the Fishing Practice Podcast. If you have not, please make sure to subscribe to rate and review the show. And also, if you haven't joined, please join our free Facebook group. It's called Efficiency Now Network, where there are a lot of dentists and professionals who are on there giving each other tips, helping each other out so we can have more productivity profitability, and just a better quality of life. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Dr. Oates. And to the listeners, we will see you the next time. Until then, take care and bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Efficient Practice Podcast with Dr. Evelyn Samuel. 